0: This is episode 58 of the creative giant show i'm charlie gilkey thanks for joining me what would you do if the love of your life died how would you pick up the pieces and move on while these are theoretical questions for many of us it's the reality for many people every day and many people are young widows and widowers kristen Mikoff joins me today to talk about our experiences as a widow and her experiences as an author who shared the stories of other widows in her recent book. In case you're new to the show and curious about why we're talking about this, one of the points of The Creative Giant Show is to share a wider range of the human and creative experience than just the Oprah version that we often see. I most want you to see that you're not alone in whatever adversity you're going through and you can triumph too. Ready? Let's do
1: this. Welcome to The Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey.
0: I'm delighted to introduce you to Kristen Mekoff. Kristen is a licensed master's level social worker. She is a graduate from Kalamazoo College and completed the MSW program from the University of Michigan. She is a speaker, contributor to Huffington Post and MariaShriver.com and the author of A Widow's Guide to Healing. She is also a member of the University of Michigan Cancer Center Board. She has been seen on Huffington Post Live, featured on American Greetings and at ABC headquarters in New York, and she's also been a panelist at the Parliament of World Religions. In 2007, she was 33 when her husband died from adrenal cancer. About three years after his death, she decided that she wanted to interview as many widows as possible and put their narratives together in her book. She spent three and a half years talking with widows from various backgrounds to compile the book and share their stories. In 2014, Kristen traveled to Kenya and saw firsthand how widows live on less than a dollar a day. Kristen, thanks so much for the great work you do and for showing up um, on the episode today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate your time.
0: righty. so normally I would ask... Why did you write the book? Like, how did that start? But given um, the way that um, you became a widow, it's kind of obvious. Like, what was the catalyst for changing for for writing the book, right? And I really appreciate and want to honor the the courage that you had to to sit down and and write the book. I'm, I'm currently working with Chelsea Dinsmore at Live Your Legend, who's um, a young widow as well. Um, actually, oh my goodness! She, yeah, she's 33 as well. I'll, I'll connect you after the show too. And so okay. Um, you know, I, I know how important it is to talk about it. And I don't think in our society, this is something that we talk about enough, but am I alone
1: in that? Well, I mean, seriously, I can, I know how to clear out the room. I just use words like cancer, palliative care, or hospice, and people get like that look in their eyes of terror, and they, you know, head for the door. So I know that death and dying are not something, or loss and grief, are conversations people are comfortable having, even if they've experienced it themselves. So I'm, I'm aware that that is a conversation that um, is difficult to have.
0: Yeah, it is difficult. I mean, I think there's just generally the death and grieving part of it. But I also, like, I feel like, and maybe it's my sort of reading of history, especially around warfare and things like that, like, it was more common to know about widows and widowhood than it, than it is for it to be a topic of conversation and awareness today. It seems, it seems kind of like smallpox in a way. And I don't, I'm not trying to minimize the experience of any widows. That's actually why I wanted to talk about it. But we just don't. Um, we it's, it's not a part of that cultural frame unless, you know, a widow and then you understand. Um, and, and like I said, I'm, I'm, I have another great fan, Julie Daly, whose husband died early. Um, so she's been a widow since she was in her early thirties. There's Chelsea. There's, there's a lot of women that I know who are actually widows. Um, I don't know that a lot, but there are enough that, that, that I'm aware of it. Um, so when we think about it, like you're going through this grieving process, what was, was writing the book, just a way for you to process your own grief or, or talk to us a little bit, how you went from loss grief to book.
1: Well, actually um, I do, it was interesting cause I do have a master's in social which, which I obtained before my husband never got sick. And I was telling somebody else the other day that despite having a clinical degree and a graduate um, degree, nothing prepared me for this loss. And so I spent probably three, three and a half years after he died reading everything that I could get my hands on about grief and loss. And it didn't have to just be about a spouse; it could be a parent, a sister, a child. And it didn't necessarily have to be academic, uh, peer-reviewed journals. It could be some, you know, a memoir, um, something in a in a newsstand magazine. Um, but I was very interested in how people cope with grief, what the, some of the physical effects are, and how people. Um, some people seem to be more resilient um, afterwards. And so, but I couldn't find narratives and I've always been fascinated by narratives. Um, The first piece that I wrote when I was in college, it was actually, I interviewed Holocaust survivors. And um, I'll never forget a conversation that I had with Holocaust survivor Stephen Ross. And he told me, he said, never forget that we're not a number. And that meant, meant not the number on there that was tattooed on his arm. But that they are each a story and there's a story behind each person's loss as well. And so that's really why I decided that I wanted to learn from widows from all different backgrounds. And I wanted to use a narrative approach, which does take much longer um, than, for example, a questionnaire. And... I believe very strongly that we can connect with other people's stories and that it does take away some of the loneliness when we find that we can identify with somebody, even if we've never met them before.
0: Story is so powerful. Story is just so powerful in that way. Did, in what ways, I'm curious as a, as a researcher and you know, with your master's, what is it, best way to phrase this, there's kind of what we know from the clinical side of the house, Right um here's here's you know the stages of grief you're going to go through and and that type of thing and then there's that actual real story um in your experience for for widows going through what they're going through which one seems to do more work for them um, as far as like help them heal and grief.
1: I'm, I'm not sure you mean what story
0: no like if so you went I believe as an academic, right? You you went and started reading and researching and you went on that after your husband died um, and you ended up creating this narrative approach to it. Um, do you find that the narrative approach was more, is more healing for more people or the sort of clinical approach or does it just really vary?
1: I think personally, and, and it's sometimes it's hard for me to separate it because you know, um, we, know we all have blind spots and everything for our own our own work, and um, I think the narrative is what really really connects with people because um, when we find that we are able to see ourselves and others, um, it helps to really be able to identify at a more personal level, which is which is what happens with the loss. Um, so that's why I connected more with narratives. And that's really why I wrote the book because I couldn't find many narratives. I couldn't find the book that had um, a collection of stories of widows from all different backgrounds. And I kept looking for it over and over. And I, I was kind of putting things together myself, but there wasn't one that had what I obviously what I wrote and, and what I was looking for.
0: What are some of the common threads of the stories that you write that you compiled?
1: Um, That's that's a really good question. There there were common themes as far as, this is despite educational level, um, how the death occurred, the age of the person when they um, were widowed. Um, The intense loneliness, the sense of isolation um, was a common threat. Um, The fact that even though they may, for example, have children at home that, that were still living with them or they may have been Uh, temporary living with um, an adult child or somebody else, um, the sense that nobody really understood their loss and the pain that came with the grief. And sometimes this was, you know, years later, Um, and it didn't mean that necessarily that they weren't being productive or healthy or that they weren't working full time or taking care of their children, but they felt this intense sense of aloneness that they felt no one else could identify with, and they didn't feel comfortable sharing it with others. Um, a second theme were the, um, were the emotional components. It kind of goes with the first, but they will cause secondary losses. So the first loss is obviously the, the death of their spouse. And the second loss, um, sometimes there were physical losses. They um, lost a job as a result. They couldn't maintain a job. Some had to leave their home. They couldn't afford to live there. Um, some had uh, broken relationships with in-laws and other friends and family. So the secondary losses uh, were a result um, of the primary loss occurring. And the secondary losses were very, very difficult to um handle as well because it was another change that had occurred
0: yeah it's salt in the wound you know it's like not only have you lost your partner but now you're losing these other things that are core as well as as a result of that
1: right and it's very you know um and then he said you know they could handle the one thing at a time, but it's the multiple losses that seem to be occurring. Um, and, and many said that, that, you know, they looked to the marriage and also to their partner as a support main support person, the go to person. And when that person wasn't there to help them cope with a change in their job or when they were doing solo parenting, um, it was it was even more devastating for them
0: okay so two two trends that we have are are the intense loneliness. the second is these are the secondary losses. are there any other major themes
1: um financial concerns um were and that's addressed uh, you know I was in the book um and it doesn't necessarily mean that um a widow was necessarily like physically having to leave a home because she she couldn't afford all of that it did happen some but um just adjusting to um, having to go from what was before to what is current. And, um, that was a huge adjustment. And also not understanding, um, exactly the complete financial picture and what this meant for their, um, their life post loss.
0: If you can talk to us about, um, the experience of widows and especially when they when there's a time where they're starting to consider or not consider getting involved with another partner um because i know from the conversations i've had that's one of those strange things because it's not sometimes it's not on the radar at all they're just not like it's it's you go through that and you are just changed in that way i would imagine um and then others might have guilt about starting new romantic relationships can you can you talk to us a little bit about that
1: sure um that's one of those things that the first i think thing even that precludes dating or getting involved with somebody else was the idea of when you take off the wedding band and some widows said you know initially they would never do that um some didn't you know realize that um they just create even more of an intense sense of aloneness without it, that this is the one thing that they were wearing that they felt um, remind them of, of their uh, spouse. And then once they made the decision, um, some widows were very eyes and said that they were involved in relationships with men that were uh, emotionally unavailable. And they, some had insight and they realized they were doing it subconsciously because they weren't involved, but they wanted, you know, the physical intimacy. They wanted somebody to be there to do things with, such as go to dinner, go to the movies. Um, so it's kind of filling the void socially. They didn't feel comfortable, you know, going to dinner alone. And then other widows um, actually would say, uh, be very honest and say things like, you know, I had young children at the time and I would, um, I found uh, partner or somebody actually got remarried and said that they found men who were uh, functional in the relationship to be father figures for their children. And that, um, once their children turned 18, um, it, it resulted in the divorce. And they were insightful enough to say that they realized why they had done that. They wanted to still have some of a nuclear family for, for the children. And so, um, you know, people get involved with in relationships after loss for you know many different reasons, and that's kind of I was surprised about how open the widows were about their their new relationships.
0: That's an interesting point that you just mentioned about the transparency, and and we know that when um, parents choose to become divorced, right? Um, mm-hmm. that, there's, that there's a lot of guilt around that, and and there's a lot mm-hmm. of in our society there's a lot of overcompensation you want you give extra gifts and you spend extra time just to, so that you know you still love them and that you know you feel guilty about the broken family stigma and things like that but you know this in this particular situation like it's not something you chose and yet i don't know is guilt the right word or is it concern or what it i mean there's still that residue of not having that other parent
1: it is. I mean, I don't know you. right, I don't know if, if guilt is not the right word, but there's a there's a tremendous void, and it's uncomfortable. Um, for, you know, death is a, is an adult issue, and to have to explain it to young children or any age children, knowing that they don't have their father, unless they grew up themselves without a father, you know, unfortunately due to death or perhaps divorce, um, it's really difficult to understand, um how to raise children when a death occurs and it's a significant death. Obviously it's their parent. And so I think, you know, um, solo moms do the very best that they can. And sometimes they're ill-advised. I know I had one solo mom tell me, she said her friends and her family were actually encouraging her to date far too early than when she was emotionally ready. But she kind of followed their lead because she thought, well, you know, they, they're looking out for her. And sometimes it's, um, some one, um, Susan, actually, she is the first and last name in the book, just said, you know, she focused on raising her, her boys um, and wasn't even considering dating until um, they had completed high school. So, you know, um, solo moms have different approaches to this as well.
0: Let's talk about the, the label, if we were, the widow label. Um, sure. And... How women embraced it, how, how the people that you talked to both embraced it, but also wanted to reject it. Because I imagine on one hand, you don't want to be like the widow, like, oh, she's a widow, you know? Um,
1: yeah. At the same time,
0: sure. you are, right? It's, it's, a, it's a weird, it, not a weird label. It's, it's one of those labels that have such rich meanings that I imagine that you don't necessarily want to identify with the label yet. You are and all those tensions like that. Or am I making stuff up on this front?
1: No, I mean, we had um, one widow who uh, was very, very intense that we use this word because initially, um, you know, I, we would say that's the purpose of the book, the intent was to learn from widows. And I would say widows of all different ages, you know, backgrounds. And um, she kind of was very against the whole idea, but then yet she her whole story. And so I'm respectful of that I honor that it is a label. It is, um, it does have, it can have some very negative um, stigmas behind it. Um, I didn't really know what other word to use. So that's why um, we did, you know, continue with that, for example, in the title of the book. Um, So it's very difficult. I'll tell you, it, it becomes really I'd say um, very real. The first time, in other worlds I don't have this experience. When you go to the doctor's office, and um, you have to, you know, they always ask you to update your status form, and they're usually looking for like a change of address or change of insurance, and you have to check the box widow for the marital status. And it's um, to have to do that is is uh, it's, you're, in a, you're in a club that you know nobody wants to be in at that point.
0: Bring us into that experience a bit more. I mean, how was that? How was that for you? I mean, when was the first time after? I mean, it, it's, it's hard to talk about. So bear with me, right? Um, when your husband passed, and you know, you had the grief, like, when were some of those moments for you where like, checking that box struck you in a way?
1: It was actually less than two weeks after he died. I got really sick. Um, I had like the double ear infection. I couldn't have bronchitis. I didn't know what was going on. And I had to actually go to this med clinic. And of course, these things always happen on the weekends when you're not, you can't see your primary care doctor. And I had to fill out this form and that's when I sat there and they asked for my, you know, you had to fill in an emergency contact. And I had always was used to writing my husband's name and I thought, Oh, I don't have an emergency contact. I mean, then I looked down and I thought, Oh, I don't have, you know, the marital status of being married anymore. And so that was the first kind of moment. It really hit me, um, that physically, you know, I was checking boxes that I had never done before and then, you know, I was 33 then. I'm, um, And most of my friends, were, you know, were having kids or I was getting invitations, you know, to baptisms or some, some were still getting married. It was not obviously um, to to funerals that were of colleagues of mine or, you know, um, friends, because that was not the age group that traditionally would have a funeral for a, a spouse or a partner. So it was. It was difficult. I mean, I remember um, meeting Mitch Album several years after, and I I said to him, I really loved my late husband loved your book Tuesdays with Maury. and he looked at me and he said, You look too young to be a widow. And I mean, I guess I you know, I didn't introduce myself that way, but, you know, obviously put it together when I referenced my late husband. So it, it's still sometimes people are kind of, you know, uncomfortable when they see somebody, I think under 50, who has lost um, their, their partner.
0: I'm guessing that that discomfort is we don't know what to say, or you don't know, like, you know, I have my own sort of way in which I could be like, Oh, like, because there are all the things that you, it, it's kind of like people, Um, bear with me on this. It's almost like people who are infertile and when people ask Mm -hmm. them, you know, like, when are you having kids or do you have kids? And, and there's that level of assumption about their life and their conventional status and relationships that once you're like, oh, you know, you're not having kids. And it's, it's just one of those things that people assume, you know, um, is it that type of thing or what's, what's going on there?
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's hard to know, um, I remember, you know, like l- late last fall, it was the Met, meaning the Met Museum in New York had a whole, um, they call it fashion of Morning which exhibited uh, literally, um, attire that widows wore from, you know, the beginning of the century, even before then until more present day. And I thought, Oh, okay. Well, somebody actually sent me the link to it thinking <laughs> that, you know, you see something and and, and that's what they, and, and I knew that she was sending it to me for a reason. So it was interesting that I don't associate that way anymore, but people, but people still identify that label with you, you know, years after it's happened. And um, they mean, you know, they mean well, but I think that it's, um, yeah, there's a level of comfort. And, you know, I mean, sometimes people do stick their foot in their mouth, just like with the baby thing. They assume, or maybe you just, for whatever reason, chose not to have children. And then they kind of look like something's wrong with you, or um, they don't know how to get out of the conversation um, in a sensitive way. So, yeah, it, it is cultural, and there are assumptions that are made. I think. Um, with with people, especially of a certain age.
0: So walk us through this. You your husband dies in two thousand and seven. You spend the next three and a half years interviewing widows and writing the book. You publish the book. What happens then, as far as your professional life goes?
1: Well, I spent three and a half years kind of re, um, researching, and then like I said, three and a half years reading. So it's it's only been eight years actually. This month since my since Roy died. Um, you know, it's it's. I continue to work full time and I'm not a writer and, um, by, for example, as far as education. And so what has been really, really interesting, and I felt that I did not know this going into the journey of of writing was, um, discovering all the beautiful kind of friendships that, um, I was able to develop as a result of this. Um, people have been very kind have reached out to me, um, and have been willing to, to help me and connect me um, with different professionals who who've helped with the book or in some ways um, supported me, in, in helping me find the right professionals to contribute to the book. And so that's been something that I didn't expect and never would have um, going in. If you would ask me, you know, what what do you think is going to result or the, what the result of this book will be? Um, and so professionally, I'm still I'm still at my same job, but as far as the writing profession, um, my the doors have really opened for me and it's it's really um an exciting time for me and I'm I'm just I'm kind of in awe of, of the of that process that that occurred um, very organically and unexpectedly
0: pull us in what type of opportunities or in or you know um, experiences or doors have opened for you that, that have really surprised you
1: um, last okay, Maybe a month and a half ago, I had to, we're in November already, um, I was at ABC um, headquarters in New York and I was with Dr. Richard Best and we did an hour-long tweet chat on the physical effects of grief, which is a huge deal. Um, it was live. And this is something that, you know, I had no connections with before. Um, I had reached out to someone at ABC um, about a year and a half ago when I was first looking at doing something like this. but. Um, you know, this wasn't something I ever planned. Um, you know, when I first thought about writing the book, I have had the opportunity to develop a very, very good friendship with uh, Deepak Chopra, who generously gave the cover blurb. And this is, again, something that happened, um, as a result, you know, of, of my writing and wasn't, um, uh a friendship that was established beforehand. I've also met um, just some really, you know, interesting people. Um, I've been, I've been to like, I was invited to the parliament of world religion in Salt Lake city. There were like 10,000 people there and um, several different nations. And I was a, you know, I was a panelist. And these are, this was an opportunity that I was given um, because they knew about the book. And so I just, those are some of the the things I've
0: been very um, fortunate to receive. I'm curious about this, about, um, you know, you you mentioned your meeting with Deepak Chopra. Um, You you know, you've also um, are a um, architect of change by Maria Shriver, um, so on and so forth. And last year you went to Kenya um, to see firsthand how widows live on less than a dollar a day, um, I did do that. Tell us about that project. I'm re- I'm really interested in that project and and where Kristen is going with with this because it's it's a very wonderful story.
1: Um, after for those of you who've been, um, there's a time when you submit the manuscript and then there's just kind of like you don't do anything; you wait for the editorial process to occur, which is what happened with me. And I thought about. Um, I wanted to, I, I'm not sure exactly where this came from, but I, I wanted to learn how widows live on less than a dollar a day. And so, the opportunity came up with, a, with a, um, a very small group of widows, and we went to a place called Kibera. It's one of the largest slums, if not the largest slum in Africa. And... Um, Many widows are there simply because of their marital status. in Kenya, um, widows often lose their rights to own property and um, some financial con- considerations also uh, basically they're they're broke. they have nothing, and they're forced to live in the in the slum with their children. Sure. And um, I was able to develop, you know I think a pretty good rapport with many of the widows. and I actually I wrote about it for Huffington Post. And I'm continuously curious about that and looking at a more global approach. And that's why I um, I met with Lord Lumba in London. Um, he has a global approach to helping widows as well um, and their children and empowering them on an educational level, a financial level, and a social level, which are things that, you know, I believe very strong in social justice. And I spoke about that um, at the Parliament of Royal Religion
0: let's talk about cross-cultural differences if you can so um, you okay. what what were some of the cross-cultural differences and and convergences between the widows experience in Africa versus the widows experience in um, the United States
1: well I only went to I only went to Nairobi um, I didn't go to I really would love to go to Uganda um, so I can only speak about uh, the women that i met in Kibera um, First of all, there is, um, the lack of the ability to own own the property. Um, they're literally blamed for their husband's death, no matter how it occurred. Many, um, are unable to attend the husband's funeral because they're considered to be bad luck. Um, and the fourth thing is, um, not being able to be a part of either family, meaning their in-law or their, um, their main family because, um, widows are not well-received. Simply because of, the, of their status, and then um, being literally forced to approve themselves and, and living in poverty is unfortunately um, one of the consequences of this of, of losing their their husband. and And I know that widows, for example, in the U.S., have to move many times. Um, I know there's strains. Um, as far as um, relationships between families afterwards, but it seemed to be um, a little more intense and um, much more um, impoverished circumstances.
0: So it seems like it takes, you know, we mentioned earlier, um, one, loneliness, two, secondary losses, um, and those two especially, it really exacerbates, like amplifies those considerably.
1: It does I mean not being able to attend your own husband's funeral I mean I really really felt for these widows um, it, I mean that my, when I heard that and I just I mean my heart just went out to them I, I can't imagine not being able to to have that right or ability to do that um, that that will you know that really stuck in my mind when I heard that. I didn't know that you know that that's, that occurs.
0: Alrighty. So your book has just recently come out, um, on what's the date. It just came out this November, um, November 3rd. Um, and you know, you mentioned earlier that when you're in the publishing process, so you're, you're, you're really, you know, talking about the book now, have you considered what your next one is going to be, or are you just really taking it as it goes and, 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 um, going there?
1: I have, I, you know, I have, I have all these, I was thinking, um, I'm not sure. I mean, nothing signed or anything, but I was really thinking about ways to help, um, people with any type of loss, whether it's divorce, job, relationship, or a deep friendship that, that they've lost, um, healthy ways to deal with, with that and ways to find a new purpose and meaning, um, in their life when a sudden change occurs or some loss occurs. So not necessarily, um, the loss was because of a death, but like I said, um, a situation that they didn't anticipate or perhaps that, um, you know, it's been very difficult for them to adjust to.
0: Hmm. Yeah. One of the things about the book is, um, it's got two focuses, fo- foci it's got one is for the new widow and another for the family friend. And that's, you know, another thing that I wanted to talk about is what, can we do or how can we be supportive and helpful as family, friends or friends or people who care, you know, without getting into overtaking care of the widow and making a bunch of assumptions, but being there, being present.
1: Um, Well, first of all, I think you have to be careful, like you said, just to be sensitive, but um, you know, because sometimes it is an awkward situation and to really, if you are going to say that you're going to be there to actually show up. And I mean, uh, many promises I made, I know um, we always often told me that they expected that people were going to follow through and they didn't. So if you, for example, you know, i uh, going to say, Oh yeah, 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 I'm going to help you, you know, clean up all your leaves and rake with you and whatever, then actually show up and do that. And so I think that um, people mean well. Sometimes they mean to follow through, but when they don't, it, it's it is uh, um, it is hurtful. And also, not to be judgmental, um, each um, person experiences grief differently, and they respond to it differently. And um, sometimes you don't know what to say, and that's okay and be careful to um not to judge um you know what what's it, what you may see happening or how you feel that you have handled it differently and um offer to you know help out because there are things are very overwhelming physically as well um for widows and it is, an, it is an experience that um, it's difficult to imagine happening unless you've been through it. But, um, you know, look around and see some of the things that the family may need. Um, and very small things are not um, unappreciated. They do go um, noticed when you do help out. So I, those are some of the things that I know the widows are um, very grateful for.
0: So, chapter eight of your book is The Best Advice I Never Got, Things Widow Know. Um, I love that. So, share with us some of the things, widowed like some some of the gems from that chapter, if you would, please.
1: I'm going to it now. Yeah, so what happened is that was not an original um, part of the... Um, the book. And then what was happening is at the end of the, at the end of the, uh, interviews, I would say, is there anything else that you want to say? And they would say, this is what I wish, you know, someone had told me. So that's how, just so you have got the background as to why that's there. Um, you know, one, you know, you know it's very, um, I say strong, She's just, but I strongly recommend that any you know, widow wait a few years before going uh, and get counseling before they remarry. Um, another talks about accepting and understanding yourself um, and not trying to become dependent on others. Um, and so it's, it's very, I mean, it, it varies. Um, one widow said that her own loneliness frightened her and living alone um, with a child was not what she'd planned. And she, um, you know, wasn't it, it? Was it was? I'd say a pretty deep, um, dark place at times. I remember her telling me about that. And the other thing that many um, widows will talk about is saying, you know, nobody um, knew that I was feeling suicidal. And this is obviously very dark, but. Um, this sometimes widows would say this is something that um you know I didn't reach out and get help earlier maybe I should have and and I'm talking about professional help as well so um those are things that um I I was I was kind of surprised to hear um there's ta- some talk about how forgiving on um, themselves for the guilt that they wish they had done that earlier um yeah you Know there's they're just they're very honest. I mean, that's that's what was so nice is that it's straight from your mouth, it wasn't, um, you know, reading other things
0: in your own experience. Um, what's been the most challenging aspect of being a widow that that you didn't? I mean, obviously, you don't anticipate to be a widow in the first place, right? Um mm-hmm but what are the things that you know you mentioned Roy died in 2007 so you're you're going on nearly a decade 8 years or so um what what are those things that are just you know you you're coming from it from a clinical you you have clinical training and so you 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 know kind of what you're going to be going through but there's just the emotional living through it that's so much more challenging um what are those things for you personally um that you're still um experiencing and, and really having a challenge to work through?
1: Um, I would say, and it's probably because I've been talking about um, it so much with, with the book, and, and that's a situation many, you know, people don't have the opportunity to talk about it publicly, but um, that something I still second-guess myself, and so in the past, I would have obviously asked him, for example, if I had written a book, not obviously about this, but, you know, something else I, I can't imagine what it would have been for, but if I had, um, I would he I would have asked for his input, for his insight. And so that's something that um I still deeply miss and I miss his wisdom on you know, decisions I've had to make along the way regarding the book. And when I had gone to Kenya, we'd actually planned to go to Kenya um before he died, not to go to Kibera, but um more as as on a safari and things like that. So those are um things that I st- I, I am kind of surprised at myself when I look at trying to look at objectively that I'm surprised that I still miss um, as far as you know when you talk about the number of years that I've passed.
0: Yeah, I was also thinking about um, hmm, there's a, there's a better term for this, and you would know it the the regriefing effect in the sense of as you're living the stories that it that it brings up your own stuff, you know, and. I was wondering, you know, as you talk to the women in Kenya and as you talk about the book, like how are you personally working through that and um you know, what effect is that having on you?
1: I think that's a really good question too. Um I think that it's forced me to look because each time I did the interview, you know, like I said, it's been, it's been three and a half years doing this, but each time, you know, I found myself, especially at the end, in a different place than when I first started doing the interviews, I'm not sure how it was happening that it was consciously or just as a result of developing more compassion towards. Um, the grieving process because I didn't really know, you know, someone else to compare it with. So I felt like I was doing it on my own. And in the beginning, I would find myself comparing my story to their story naturally because, you know, it's a, um, a situation that we were bound and unfortunately, my loss. But I think, um, you know, it's it's evolved very naturally. And some of the things that I Um, have done, I I still do. I still uh, write longhand that's helped me. I write many things that don't, that aren't published ever um, that I wasn't doing before. Um, I find that yoga is very, very helpful um, because grief and loss many times constricts the body and um, restricts kind of thinking and feeling and yoga really teaches you through the postures and the poses, how to develop compassion and strength for yourself. And so that's really helped me, um, I feel, to deal with my own grief and then also the, um, the stressors that have come from writing the book.
0: A lot of your work focuses on this interchange between the emotional um, journey and challenges and the physical journey and challenges. Um, and so, you know, you had physical effects of of grief and it affected your health, correct?
1: It did. I mean, I I was sick. I was, I I was on antibiotics for the first time I treated. I mean, and, and, um, I couldn't remember the last time. And I think, you know, that that was a direct result of, of experiencing the grief. I don't think that I would have been at, you know, that medical clinic otherwise, um, so that was a direct effect. Um, my sleep was affected. Um, I know I had a loss of appetite for a long time, um, which I attribute to the, to the grief, you know, these are physical effects I had not ever encountered before.
0: Is that, was that common for other women as well?
1: It was, um, some women, and that's one of the reasons why I did that tweet chat at, at ABC, um, Some women, for example, had major panic attacks and actually felt, um, you know, that there's something called broken heart syndrome. And um, some actually experienced that. They felt that they were having a heart attack and and would find themselves in the ER. Other women found it um, just not as extreme as they were in the ER, but just felt um, difficulty focusing, so more cognitive and memory, short-term memory-related issues. Um, some women most complain about, um, either sleeping all the time and not getting be able to sleep soundly, um, and changes in appetite were also very common, commonly reported symptoms.
0: So, yeah, let's put that in the bucket of secondary losses. Yeah. <laughs> the loss of the health and the loss of,
1: you know, loss. It, of the I mean, it's, it is, it's, you know, it's not easy because those are things that you, you can't anticipate. Absolutely. you know who wants to be you know who wants to be sick plus you're not feeling supported because your spouse isn't there and it, it, you know it's it's not a good place to be
0: no it's not a good place to be i mean you've lost your husband you're sick that's causing work difficulties above and beyond the stress and anxiety of the of the grief and, and loss of your husband and so you get into you know the what it would seem to be is a loss spiral right you lose one thing and then you lose something else and it's, you know it goes down from there
1: Yeah, and that's that's, um, what's also difficult for people who don't um, have an experience of close loss before um, to understand when they are, you know, either they love a widow and they see, they feel that she isn't managing her life well or something, or maybe you work with a widow and kind of see her work performance declining, is that um, it's a major, major change. And sometimes you don't really understand everything that has changed until months and weeks after um, the loss has occurred. So it's, const- it's almost every day you're dealing with a new change and that's um, difficult. You know, change money be difficult, but when you compound it with grief and loss, it's, it's even more so.
0: What was one of the changes that, that crept up on you? Like you, you, the change happened, but you weren't quite aware of it until, a, you know, weeks or months later.
1: Um, I wasn't, I don't think I was aware as to um, how much, it's kind, of, it's kind of difficult to put into words, but how much focus and energy it took just to get through the day. You know, before I could easily, um, you know, schedule activities after the day or, you know, agree to meet somebody or, you know, I um, do things on my own, but by the end of the day, I mean, I was exhausted by the time five, five thirty hit, I mean, like physically exhausted. And I knew, you know, looking back, um, that that was related to the grief and loss, but I kept thinking, okay, isn't that, am I eating something, you know, correct at the right time? Am I, uh, is it because I'm exercising in the morning? Should I be exercising in the evening? I mean, I was trying to figure out all these different reasons why and then it finally hit me. The low energy level was results from from the the death and so that was a change that I wasn't used to and I was I almost panicked because I thought something was wrong with you know in addition to um being sick that something else might be wrong with me but um you know even small so someone else would be all that small you know but it, it is kind of a big thing when you um get kind of scared about what's happening and you're not sure why with when you experience physical symptoms
0: well, I imagine it's doubly scary because prior to the loss of your husband, like if you got sick or something happened, you had someone else to help out, right?
1: Um, yeah, and you, yeah, exactly. And you don't have a backup anymore, especially, um, you know, some people who have children and their solo parents all of a sudden, they said, I have no backup. At least before, if I knew I was running late, I had someone to call. Um, if I had a question or, you know, they were having a difficult day with their child, they knew that they had another parent to lean on and there was no one there. So you're um, on your own and it is very difficult.
0: Alrighty. So going through the book launch now, um, you still have your day job, correct? Yes, I do. (laughs) Um, And so you have this book coming out. You're thinking about the next one. What, is really exciting for you going forward or what, or what are you excited about for 2016 and years beyond
1: um i'm excited about where writing in general takes me not necessarily if it's a book maybe it's you know a blog maybe it's doing articles maybe it's um doing things with just other writers and don't get published but i mean really um excited about being more open to to some of these opportunities i see out there for um for, for writing in general. And also um, I'm hoping that I can, I broke my foot in June. I'm hoping to get back to um, more running. Like I had done half, several half marathons before. and I. So that has nothing to do with writing, but I'm looking forward to that next year, um, getting back to distance running and also um, expanding more of my yoga practice and, and learning, um, you know, doing that in a different way as well, doing some different techniques.
0: Great. Okay. So if people remember nothing else from this episode about you and your body of work, what would you want them to take away?
1: Um, That having um, an unbounded outlook on yourself is very important, meaning that there are I never saw myself doing this. I never saw myself being a writer. I never saw myself getting published, but it is all very, very possible. And it starts from within.
0: Kristen, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Okay, creative giants. So you heard it from Kristen having an abundant mindset will take you far. And whether you have um, had something like this happen, or whether you're just thinking about that next step that you want to take in life, think about what you can do to take that next step and see what emerges. Until next time, stand tall.
1: Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.